as we have studied through Judges, uh, let me say a couple things about Judges 5. My original plan for Judges 5 was to just breeze by it. Um, Because what happens is that um, Judges 4 tells the story. Judges 5 is just a song about what just happened. Um, It's unique in Judges. Um, And and because of that, and a few other factors, I've thought, well, if it's unique, it must have a purpose. So why skip it if it's uniquely something that happens here? So I've decided to spend a little bit more time in it. In fact, this idea of of a narrative followed by a song really only happens about three times in Scripture, uh, where, where something happens and then there's a reflective song about it. And so that made me think there's probably something more important going on here. And, and so this is our third week in Judges chapter 5. Again, my initial plan was to just kind of give it a, a little nod and then move on, because it recaps what happens in the narrative of Judges 4. Um, and, and let me tell you, we, we've already established uh, in the first time I, I went through this, kind of how the whole song is arranged and, and the song is arranged to make sure you understand God is the hero of the story. Uh, both the narrative and the poem, Judges 4 and Judges 5, put God as the, the true hero of the story. We, we are um, in a book of a series of judges, but these judges are not the heroes. In fact, their character is quite suspect and declining throughout the book. Um, but here, there's a song that I think, reflective of the entire book, Um, shows us that in all of these stories, God is the true hero. Um, Then last week, what I did is I I took just the first part of the psalm and and showed you how that when God is the true hero, God's people stop and reflect on that. They remember that. Um, And and so last week, I kind of showed you how God had won this great victory, and they stopped and they rehearsed the great deeds that God had just done, and we took time to rehearse as we remembered Christ's death and resurrection and communion to do that. Those two things are kind of the foundation upon which I'm building this last message. Um, God's the hero. We remember what he did, but here's the point I'm going to try to make today, and it's so clear in this passage, and that is we get to participate in this. God is the hero, but he invites us to be a part of that story. And if you, if you decline the invitation, there's consequences for that. And so what you're going to see in this, in this um, moving through the story is, yes, God's the hero, but people uh, are invited to participate, and those who do are celebrated. Those who don't participate are condemned. And there's going to be uh, two series of that, and particular people are going to be highlighted uh, for their non-participation or for their participation in this grand story. And, and again, it is God's story. That's why Fellowship's mission statement begins. We invite people to enter God's story. It's not Ken's story. It's not Fellowship's story. It's not even the OCC story. This is God's story that we're inviting people to be a part of. Um, in this book, we've seen again and again through all of these judges, there's 12 of them if you count the little ones, um, there are eight big stories, but um, in, in the cycle that we're running through, the people sin. They, they follow after other gods. They're involved in idolatry, and God sends oppression from another nation as a discipline to get their attention. He does. They pray, not repentant prayers, but crying out because of the, the anguish that they're under in this oppression. And God, in his grace, sends deliverers. Um, these deliverers 
are um, less than noble. <laughs> uh, we start off pretty good with Othniel and with Ehud, uh, even Shamgar, although there's some questions about them. But beginning with Barak, we start to see people um, hesitant to participate. It's going to get worse with Gideon. It's going to be even worse with Jephthah. And then Samson is the worst of all um, in terms of the people that God has to use. And that's why these are not heroes in the book. They are not the heroes. God has to use them. Um, but God is showing them these, these deliverers are not your ultimate hope. As you make a mess of your life, as we go through this cycle again and again and kind of make a mess that we're trying to represent up here, um, we need more than these kind of heroes. That's why behind the, the tattered screen back there, there's a crown because we need more than these chieftains, more than these warlords. We need a king. They get the king they chose in Saul, then the king, human king that God anoints in David, but neither one of them are the real king. We're looking forward to the, the, the true king that we're going to talk about during Advent. Uh, he's, he's the real savior. Um, all of these others are just kind of getting us by, and God has to use them. Uh, God delivers them. They, they have a period of rest, but it doesn't last very long because these leaders... Um, that God is using, they don't really have spiritual depth, spiritual quality. So they don't last, they don't leave any lasting spiritual impact. They deliver, yes, they get the job done, but because of their lack of spiritual character, they don't, they don't leave a spiritual um, impact on the, on the nation. And so the cycle gets repeated again and again. And we've seen this a number of times. Uh, just to set it up, the the story that we're talking about here takes place up in the north of Israel by that northern sea, the Sea of Galilee. Um, Deborah lives kind of in the middle of the country, but she's rallying troops um, into a battle that's up there in the north. Here's a little bit of a closer picture of what's going on. I, I show this to you because I want you to notice the tribes that are around the battlefield. The battlefield's right there in the middle where all those arrows are. Um, that's the battlefield. And um, the tribes that are surrounding it are Issachar and Zebulun, Naphtali, Asher, um, part of Manasseh. Um, those are the people most directly impacted by this battle and by the oppression of Jabin, the king, and Hetzor and Sisera. Um, and, and you'll notice that, that those tribes, and some of them from farther away, are going to respond to help out in the battle. But inexplicably, some of them, some of them are not going to participate and again, this, this whole anthem is, is about God's winning the battle, but he invites us to be a part of it. And some people participate and some people do not. And, and I want you to be listening and just asking yourself, are you a participant in this? <laughs> are you a, not a participant? And, and listen to what goes on. Again, in chapter 4, this is the narrative of chapter 4, um, and, and what happens in the narrative in chapter 4, they, they begin under the hand of Jabin. They end with Jabin under the hand of Israel, but God is the hero in the middle. He routes the army. And in the narrative, we don't know how. We just know God routed them. We find out in the story that it is through a thunderstorm. We'll see that. Um, Bob Chisholm says this, Always willing to fight, uh, I'll always be willing to fight, but the Lord is the real victor in the battle and was deserving praise. This song of victory was appropriate because all kings needed to know of the royal splendor and power 
of victorious Yahweh, the God of Israel. Again, at the center of this is they're singing this song that, that everyone would know Yahweh's the winner. Not Barak, not Deborah, not Jael, um, but Yahweh is the one who is the, the victor. And, and it's seen again in the structure of the poem in chapter 5. It's, it uh, begins with um, this praise, it ends with a praise, but in the middle we see the true hero of Yahweh who, who wins the battle from heaven. We'll, we'll see all of these, but but you'll notice as it develops that there's, um, there's a, a story about salvation and God bringing the salvation. It ends with salvation not coming from the world's sources. Uh, when Sisera's mother is expecting salvation, but she's not going to get it. And then you see, it's point number C on the outline, the willing participants and the cautious cowards, C and D. Um, they're going to be paralleled with the harsh indictment of those cowards who don't show up and a poetic portrayal of one person who does participate. The idea here is God's the winner of the battle, and then there's two categories of us, those who participate and those who do not. And we need to see how they're treated. Um, Greg Wong says, a careful consideration of the content of the song suggests, however, that this may not be merely a hymn celebrating victory, but a politically charged attempt to promote participation in wars against foreign oppressors. Um, and it's participation in the war. And again, this is symbolic. These, these oppressors, the, uh, the Canaanites and the Amorites, the Amalekites, uh, these oppressors are just symbolic of the oppression that Satan brings through death and sin and hell. And, and that's the battle we're fighting. And it's the battle that Jesus ultimately wins but he's asked us to participate in that. So this begins with a song of salvation, and we've already seen the only appropriate response to salvation is to praise. When God saves you, you should praise him. Um, and Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang on that day. He had saved them. So they sang out, when long hair hangs loosely in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, people are throwing their hair back to get involved. Bless Yahweh. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, I will sing to Yahweh. I will sing praise to Yahweh, the God of Israel. We give him credit. We talk about what he's done. We make him the hero of the story. We make him the subject of our sentences. They praise him. And then last week, we also saw that they, they rehearse what he has done. We talk about what God has done. We don't talk about us. We don't talk about how great we are. Oh, God's made me, blah, blah, blah. No, it's talk about what God has done and the faithful rehearse the deeds of the Lord's salvation story. That's what you see throughout scripture. And it's one of the reasons that Jesus, like we did last week, said on a regular basis, remember uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Proclaim his death until he comes. Um, remember all that he has done. And this is how they do it in their context. Yahweh, when you went down from Seir, when you marched from the region of Eden, Edom, uh, from the southeast, the earth trembled and heavens poured down. The clouds poured down water. The mountains trembled before Yahweh, the Sinai, the presence of Yahweh, the God of Israel. It's this thunderstorm. The, the earth trembles, there's thunder, and the heavens pour down, and, and this is how God is going to win the battle the, against the enemy, um, who have 900 chariots of iron, um, and into the valley, they come down with their 900 chariots, and God from the other direction sends a thunderstorm and turns the valley into a mud bog. 
here's the situation that was going on when all this happened. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, the previous judge, in the days of Jael, our girl in the story today, uh, the caravans had ceased. The travelers, they kept to the byways. Nobody was on the main roads. The warriors ceased. They failed to appear in Israel. Nobody was, nobody was answering the call until I, Deborah, arose. I arose as a mother in Israel, and God chose new leaders. Then war was at the gates. A small shield or a spear was not seen among 40,000 in Israel. She showed, she, she showed up. God called her. She's a, uh, she's a prophetess. She's not the judge. Barak is the judge. She's, she's a prophet. She's the one who calls him into action. He reluctantly goes, gets up on the mountain, and then she says, you know, when the battle is starting, she's the one who has to say, okay, go down. It's time for you to fight. Um, Barak, whose name is Lightning, he's never quick to do what he's supposed to do. Um, and, and, and they praise God because they were, they were at a disadvantage, but God showed up to win the battle. Now he's going to get to this new part we're looking at today, the willing participants. God's the hero. He's winning, okay? And we want to sing praises to him and make him the subject of our sentences. Talk about him and stop talking about ourselves so much. But the faithful do respond to the call to participate in the Lord's salvation story. We, we get involved in that salvation story. We share it with others. We talk about it. And when God has a specific role for us, we jump into the story. L- listen to him talk about these participants. My heart goes out to the, commander, to the commanders of Israel, those offering themselves willingly among the people. Bless Yahweh, because some people willingly jumped in. Then he's going to describe the, the rich and the poor. The riders of white female donkeys, those sitting on saddled blankets, um, those of you who are in your Lexus, okay, you're there. And those who are going on the way, talk about it. If, if you're riding or you're walking, um, at the sound of those dividing the sheep among the watering places, there they will recount the righteous deeds of Yahweh, the righteous deeds for his warriors in Israel. Um, they're talking about what God has done when it's all over. Then the people of Yahweh went down to the gates. They, they showed up. Some people are now participating. Um, he's going to go on with participants. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up and wake up and sing your song. Get up, Barak. Deborah, Deborah hears the call and she calls Barak, the army general, to get involved. Take captive your captive, O son of Abinoam. Then the remnant went down to the nobles. The people of Yahweh went down for him against the mighty. There were some people who came, some of them riding on donkeys, some of them walking along the way. But some people, they rallied to come to the battle. And they came from all over the place. From Ephraim is their route into Amalek after you, Benjamin, with your family. These are people from the south. From Mekar, we don't even know where that is, the commanders went down. And from Zebulun, those near. And from Zebulun, those carrying the scepter of the military commander. Um, Barak is from Zebulun. And the chiefs of Issachar were with Deborah. And Issachar likewise was with Barak. Into the valley he was sent to get him from behind. Among the clans of Reuben was great decisions, were great decisions of heart. Um, the people around, they participated. Some people from far in the south, they participated. Reuben had to really think about it. They were meditating, should we get involved or not? And they do. And they're praised. They're commended for their involvement in the battle. Um, Del Ralph Davis does such a good job when he says this. Note the theology of the text. Though Israel's deliverance is Yahweh's sovereign and mighty work, 
His people are not to sit passively by. They are to participate actively in his mighty work to come to the help of Yahweh against the mighty ones. God's the hero. We sing about him. He's our savior. It's his story. But if you understand it, you understand that he's given you days. He's given you gifts. He's given you time. He's, he's given you skills that allow you to participate in this engagement that we have with, with the world and, and a spiritual battle, and we, we fight in that battle. We don't just sit on the sidelines and say, okay, God's going to win, or um, do more what the cautious cowards are doing, and that's ignore the call to participate because they're distracted by all the other things in the world. I, mean, I think at this point, it's kind of the stuff on the sides here um, that, that, are, that are the things that keep us from getting involved in, in God's work, in discipling that one person that God brings your way, in uh, getting involved in um, sharing the gospel and, and being bold. Um, it, it's the distractions of, well, I've got more commitments in these other areas, so I can't make a commitment to serve in the thing that God is calling me to serve to in. The fearful ignore the call. Listen to why they do it. Why do you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the calling sounds of the herds? Why are you just sitting there with your sheep counting your sheep? For the clans of Reuben, there was great searching of the heart. Gilead has remained beyond the Jordan. Why did Dan dwell as a foreigner with ships? Asher sat at the coasts of the waters, and by his coves he had been settling down. Um, some people are, are with their sheep. They're just counting their sheep. I've got to take care of the sheep. Can't get involved in the battle. I've got to keep counting my sheep. I, I'm going to stay with my sheep. Or I've got to take care of my boat. I've got a boat. I've got to take care of my boat. I don't have time to get involved in any of this other stuff. Um, I, I'm, I'm here with my boat and my sheep. And my boat and my sheep are piling up on the sides and keeping us from getting involved in the real battle. And those folks, why do you do that? Why are you not laying up treasures in heaven? Why are you, why are you polishing your boat and counting your sheep rather than laying up treasures in heaven? This life lasts for just a moment. And then it passes away. But eternity, you know how long it lasts? For eternity. Where are you laying up treasures? What you do in this life echoes in eternity. It really does. And, and God gives us the opportunity to participate with him, the true hero. He, he wins the battle from heaven. Look, look how he wins. The kings came, they fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, that's the southern part of the Jezreel Valley, they got no plunder in silver. The king showed up. They didn't win anything. And here's why. The stars fought from heaven. From the course they fought against Sisera. The wadi, um, it's a creek. The, the wadi torrent of Kishon swept them away. The raging wadi torrent, the wadi torrent of Kishon. Um, a little creek that, that barely runs when there's no rain, that runs through the, the middle of the valley. Um, and Sisera thought, with my 900 chariots, I'm going down in there, I'm safe. God sends from the other direction a big thunderstorm, and the, and the wadi filled up the valley, 
created all the mud, and all of those 900 chariots of iron, new technology, the tank of the day, they're stuck in the mud. And those guys who had been trained to depend on their chariots, they have to get out on foot. And now God's people have the upper hand. March on my soul with strength. Then the hooves of the horses beat loudly because of the galloping, galloping of the stallions. They were galloping down into this, not knowing God sent in a thunderstorm and from heaven. And, and the irony of it is this. I've pictured this for you before. God defeats them with a thunderstorm. The Canaanites' primary god is Baal, and he's the god of the thunderstorm. Here's how he's most often pictured. Um, in, in this, you can see Baal pictured. This is a stone carving. Lots of them look just like this. On the bottom, you can see the waves because Baal comes with a, with a thunderstorm. He's on the waves, and in his hand, he has a lightning bolt. He Baal is the one who brings water and lightning bolts. They, they sacrificed their children to him. They, they did all kinds of perverse things to kind of um, implore him to bring water, to water the lands. This is their God. And who defeats their, how does Yahweh defeat them? With a thunderstorm. Um, it's called a polemic. Um, I, I did it just spontaneously. A polemic is in your face. You think you've got the God of the thunderstorm? Look at what our God of the thunderstorm did. In your face. God puts it together. And there's a harsh indictment. Um, I don't know who this particular person is. Um, there, there's a particular person who's going to be highlighted as a participant, JL. We don't know if this is a person or if this is a, um, a city, but they had a special call and they didn't show up. Curse Miraz, says the angel of, of Yahweh. The angel of the Lord has to show up for this one. This is a, a significant non-participant. Curse Miraz, says the angel of Yahweh. Curse bitterly its inhabitants, because they did not come to the help of Yahweh, to the help of Yahweh against the mighty. They're cursed. There, there's, there's no memory of them, because we don't know anything about these people, this city. We don't know anything about it, because they didn't show up. We know nothing about them. Now we're going to get a really interesting portrayal of um, someone who does participate. We get the one who doesn't participate who's cursed. Angel of the Lord shows up to curse them. <laughs> now we're going to get the participant, the willing participants of the Lord's salvation story are blessed. This is Jael. Uh, you remember the story. Sisera has escaped. The army's running back to the west. Sisera escapes, and he goes to the hills to the northeast. He meets um, Jael who's in the tent, and she welcomes him in and assassinates him. That's chapter 4. We're going to get the poetic version of that in chapter 5. Um, and this is a little harsh. Um, Del Rolf Davis says this, This is the way Israel views Yahweh's salvation. Yahweh's deliverance is meant to be enjoyed, savored, cherished, item by item, detail by detail, blow by blow, from dish to peg to mallet to skull to feet. Someone may think this is being vicious. It's not. It's being pious. This is celebrating God's deliverance. Because remember, this is warfare. Um, Sisera has been oppressing the people, disarming them, forcing them to travel in the byways. You're going to see a picture here in a minute. If you're, if you're like, oh, this is a little harsh on Sisera, don't you think? Sisera's mother is just waiting for him to come back with the plunder. And, it, and it's horrible what she's thinking. Um, 
let me see if I can make this a little bit easier for you to deal with, the assassination of Sisera and how he is handled. Do you remember when we got this guy? Uh, he's Osama bin Laden. I'm, I'm naming him Sisera bin Laden, okay? Do you remember? It was, it was at night. President Obama got on uh, the television, and he said, um, we've killed Osama bin Laden. And we all were just like, yeah, that's right. We got him finally. And, and, and there was no sense of which, oh, I hope they treated him really nicely. No, it was like, we want evidence that he's dead. And then the people, the people, the SEAL team that did it, they're heroes. The guy who actually killed him has his own show now. Why? Because he was the oppressor. He, he, was, he was the leader of the opposition, and we took him out, and we loved it. That wasn't being cruel. Um, so, so keep that in mind, that Sisera is their Osama bin Laden. Most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed is she of women among tent dwellers. He asked for water. She gave him milk. In a drinking bowl for nobles, she brought the curds. She brought him warm milk. Um, she reached out her hand to the peg and her right hand for the workman's hammer. And she struck Sisera, crushed his head, and she shattered and pierced his temple. Yeah, she took him out. I mean, and, and, and do, we, do we have a problem with what we, we've learned, by the way, recently? We've learned that in order to find Osama bin Laden... We actually vaccinated a lot of people in the area, and we used some of that to track his family members. Good for us. Um, this is what she's doing. The, the words, by the way, she struck, she crushed, she shattered, she pierced, um, they're all Hebrew words that end with uh, they, they They end with the sound of a hammer. Mary Evans... I'm going to put this in the words of a woman. Uh, in modern society, J.L.'s actions could be seen as excessively violent and inappropriate behavior, particularly for a woman. However, we must be aware of introducing questions that would not have been understood in their original context. In general, to kill an enemy in the course of a war would never have been seen as inappropriate. No, they were taking out the main oppressor. You're going to see what his plans were uh, in just a few moments. But here's what happened to him. Between her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay. Between her feet, he sank down, he fell. And when he sank down there, he fell dead. Yep. The verbs line up perfectly for J.L. and Sisera. For J.L., she gave, she brought, she reached out, she hammered, crushed, shattered, pierced. For him, he sank, he fell, he lay, he sank, he fell, he sank, he fell, dead. They got him. Now, if you're wondering, oh, that's just so harsh. Why not be kind? Well, let's take a look at um, someone who's expecting salvation. Um, Sisera's mother is expecting him to win the battle. And so she's musing about what this victory is going to be like. And, and in the beginning, God, God is the victor, and he provides victory. Um, Sisera, I think, representing the opposition of the world... She's expecting a great victory, and you know what she gets? Death. The world makes big promises. The world promises you plunder. 
The world promises you a bigger boat and more sheep if you just play their game. You know what the world really delivers? Is death. Again, Dale Ralph Davis says, the picture of Sisera's mother is simply dripping with holy sarcasm. Uh, Deborah takes a moment to imagine Sisera's mother back in her palace, looking out and waiting for her son to come home. Through the window, she looked down. The mother of Sisera cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot delayed in coming? Why do the hoofbeats of his chariots tarry? What's taking him so long? The wisest of her ladies answered her. She also answered the question to herself. Oh, I know what must have happened. Are they not finding and dividing the plunder? A bedmate or two bedmates for every man. The translation of bedmate there is very polite. Um, I, I could translate it a womb. It's a vulgar term. We're getting one for every man. Colorful garments for Sisera, plunder of colorful garments, beautiful finished colorful garments on the neck of the plunderer. This is what she's imagining. This is Sisera's mother imagining the plunder is coming back. He's taking all of their plunder and, and, and bringing back some women for the boys. They're going to be enslaved. That's who's being taken out here. The world's expecting all the plunder. The world thinks you're going to get all the pleasure and all the plunder. And you know what they end up with? All the death. Polish your boat. Count your sheep. Pursue the girl. Try to get the better clothes. You know what it leads to? Empty death and loneliness. Jump in the battle with the Lord, you're blessed. Let's see how it ends. They reflect on this salvation. And when we anticipate the victory of the Lord, we experience peace and we experience his blessing. Here's how it ends. So may all your enemies perish, O Yahweh, but those who love him, those who jump in the battle, are like the rising sun at its brightest. And the land had rest for 40 years. Um, you want to you shine like the sun? Stop polishing your boat and counting your sheep. Stop pursuing the pleasures of the world and, and trying to accumulate everything the world has to offer. Jump in the spiritual battle. When you jump in the spiritual battle, you'll shine like the sun because you'll have God's blessing in your life. The Lord is the sovereign hero of every true salvation story. Don't forget that. But he gives us opportunities, he gives us time, he gives us gifts that we can use for him to participate in what he calls us to. So some next steps. Just remind you our last time through Judges 5 here. The truth is the Lord's the true source of victory for his people. It's not us. He can use Barak, he can use Deborah, he can use Jael. But he's the true source of the victory. He's the victor. Praise him. A warning, uh, fearfully staying safe rather than entering the battle is dangerous. Uh, you may be castigated, condemned, or you may be totally counted out. Miraz, whoever that is, didn't show up and they were called. But the challenge is this, experience the blessing of obedient trust. 
in the midst of spiritual warfare. <laughs> We're not fighting against Sisera. We don't have to kill anybody. Um, but we're in a battle. And it's a battle of life and death and spiritual flourishing or spiritual floundering. Are you going to participate or are you going to count your sheep and polish your boat? Are you going to try to play the game for the world? Um, Or are you going to jump in the battle and fight hard and invite people into God's victorious story. Father, thank you for the encouragement that we have that you fight, you win. You did that on the cross. But Father, you allow us to participate in, um, in that battle. You allow us to do that by serving you, by um, sharing your love with people around the world. Um, Lord, whatever it is that you're calling us to do, <coughs> and there's as many different ways that we get called into the battle as there are people who are hearing this message. May we step into the story the way you asked us to step into the story. And Lord, may we know the joy of, of celebrating your victory and knowing We got to be a little part of it. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.